Welcome to this edition of the Gateway Podcast. Thanks for connecting with us. To discover more about our faith community, feel free to visit our website, gatewaychurch.org.nz. May this message be an encouragement to you. I've called this chat the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love. And you might be familiar that I uh, have stolen part of a sentence out of one of the songs we sing. And yep, it is another sermon on love. It's true. (laughs) We're Christians. Love's important. (laughs) But hopefully I can give love a bit of a different twist and a bit of a freshen up tonight um, because I have something a little bit interesting, I think. I found it interesting anyway to share with you guys. A few years ago, I read a book, and it was by Simon Sinek, and it was called Start With Why. Some of you may know it. Some of you may know Simon. And um, basically, Simon talks about in the book that it's really important to have this why statement for your life, that you understand the purpose for your life. And as I was reading this book, it occurred to me that a few years ago, I just had a memory, a few years ago when I was at Bible college, we did our Myers-Briggs personality test. Some of you may have done that um, in your lifetime. And uh, it's an oldie but a goodie. And I remember in that class asking the facilitator, what do you think Jesus' personality would be? She sort of looked at me a bit strange. (laughs) And she said, oh, he would be all of them. (laughs) I remember thinking, hopefully I didn't say in front of her, that would be rude. I think I did it in my head. (laughs) But I remember thinking, no, Jesus isn't schizophrenic. (laughs) He has a personality. And I, I took time to do a devotion, like just my devotion time, I took some time to actually go through the Gospels and look at Jesus' life with the point of view to try and identify Jesus' Myers-Briggs personality. And it was actually a really fascinating study to do. And so as I was reading this Simon Sinek book, Start With Why, and you have to identify your own why statement in that book, your own purpose, I thought, wouldn't it be fascinating to do that same thing again and to look at what Jesus' why statement might be? And this is my personal opinion, so, you know, take it with some salt. (laughs) But I think I came up with something pretty good, (laughs) as you do. I think Jesus' why statement might be something along the lines of to bring the kingdom of God to earth so that people can experience the fullness of a life in relationship with God. I think that's all right. And I can just go through some of the Christian, Christian 101 scriptures that really hammer that home. And like, for example, Luke chapter 4, 43, where Jesus is talking and he says, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns because that is why I was sent. And I know that I preached here a couple of years ago on that verse and on the importance of the kingdom of God. It's real important, this kingdom of God thing to Jesus. He goes on in Matthew 6.33, he says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. And then in John 10.10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. 
I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Now these are real, you know, Christian 101 bread and butter scriptures, but you can see Jesus' why statement in those scriptures. And I've obviously I read much more than those, <laughs> but for purpose of, you know, tonight and the half an hour we've got, that will do. Simon Sinek goes on to say, a why without a how has very little probability of success. And so the whole idea of this generating your why is so that you can bring some focus to your life, have some fullness in it, and start to work out how. And one of the things I noticed with Simon Sinek is, um, this was just recently, having read his book a long time ago, is that his organization seems to have the same why statement as Simon Sinek himself does. So I think it follows that the organization of Jesus would probably you know, fit under the same why statement as what Jesus has. And so if we know the why, then we should know the how. And yep, you guessed it, the how is love. And again, I know, another Christian sermon on love. I mean, give me a break, you know, we've heard all this before. But as I said, just wait, I think I've got an interesting little twist on it for you. Love, of course, is important to Jesus too. And again, using some just ground, um, grounding scriptures from, you know, just Christianity 101 scriptures, in Matthew 26, 36 to 40, a really smart Jew comes up to Jesus and says to Jesus, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And as you know, the law is the first five books Moses had written. And so he's asking, of the 613 rules that are in those five books, much more than 10, of the 613 rules that are in their book, which is the greatest? And Jesus replies, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and all your mind. So in my view of the universe, that just means love God with everything you've got. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says that all the law and the prophets hang on this. So what he's saying, of all of Moses' 613 rules, these two are the most important. And they're love ones, aren't they? <laughs> so this is really important. And you can see, if that is Jesus' why, then this is Jesus' how. Um, Jesus goes on to show how important this is to him when he speaks not of Moses' rules, but now he says his own ones in John chapter 13, 34 to 35. And actually, this is repeated throughout all of John chapter 13, chapter 14, and chapter 15. You see this phrase come up time and time again. A new commandment I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And so we see, and we know, because most of us have been around for a while, that love is very important to Jesus. 
But one of the issues that we have as English speakers is that love as a word can mean different things. And I could say to you, I love my wife. And you would understand what I mean. But one of the interesting things is I can use that same word for love, that same word love, and I can say I love ice cream. And you guys know that it's not the same thing. If you think that the same love I have for ice cream is the same as I have for my wife, then maybe you're someone who needs psychiatric help. Because quite clearly, I don't love ice cream the way that I love my wife, and I don't love my wife in the way that I love ice cream. <laughs> so love can have many, many meanings. C.S. Lewis has a book called The Four Loves, and in that book, he talks about how in the Greek language, which the New Testament was written in, there are more than one word for love in Greek, in the Greek language. However, interestingly, 99.9% of the New Testament in the Greek, that word love is agape. There's only like one, maybe two cases where it's not. And in the Old Testament, when these Hebrew scholars, 300 years before Jesus, translated it from Hebrew to Greek, they also chose 99.9% .9 of the time to use the word agape in Greek. Now, I like what W.E. Vine says, and those of you who are a little bit theologists and like to do word studies will know who Vine is. He writes, you know, um, a concordance of sorts, and a major one, and he says, agape is the characteristic word of Christianity. I like that, the characteristic word of Christianity. I like that because I think agape actually is the character of Christianity. And I'm going to explain what agape, what agape means. A lot of times we have heard, those of us who have been in Christian circles, that agape is the unconditional love of God. And it is, absolutely. But it's so much more than that. Even though love can be described in many different words, even in other languages, such as Greek, words can have more than one meaning. Take it from someone who's been trying to learn another language for the last 10 years, it's incredibly frustrating when you find out that one of these words can mean many different things. And you start getting a little bit angry, like why can't it just mean one thing? It'll be so much easier. But if you open the English dictionary, you soon find out that pretty much every single word in that dictionary has more than one meaning. So why would we expect their languages to have one word, one meaning? They quite simply don't. And so agape doesn't just have one meaning, although you'd be forgiven if you were in Christian circles for a long time to start thinking that it could only mean the unconditional love of God. But quite simply, it means much more than that. Agape is often referred to as being the highest form of love. It's the love of God for human beings and the love of human beings towards God. More importantly, I think, agape means to be sacrificial, to lay down self. It is a love that looks outward. It's altruistic. It looks outward. It's not the sort of love that looks inward. It's not egocentric. 
It's not self-pleasing. And a lot of people think, oh, self-pleasing, that sounds very bad. That sounds like a bad kind of love. Well, actually, not really, because when you think about it, you might look at a beautiful picture and go, oh, it's so beautiful. That's an inward-pleasing type of love. You feel satisfied. That's another word that's not agape. Agape is a word that gives out. And so you start to understand this. You start getting this idea of what love means in the Bible. Agape involves generosity, which those of you who were here last Sunday morning would have heard Don say is a weapon of your warfare. When we are generous, we declare war against the kingdom of Lucifer. So any wonder why agape is the how to the why statement of Jesus, which is about the kingdom of God. One kingdom's in conflict with the other. Agape is benevolence. It's about service. And it is quite often translated as charity. And in the King James Version of the Bible, the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, it actually translates the word agape to charity. So instead of saying love is patient, love is kind, doesn't envy, doesn't boast, isn't proud, love doesn't delight in evil, love never fails. In the old King James Version, it says charity is patient. Charity is kind. Charity is not, does not delight in evil and charity never fails. Let's just have a quick look at how that word agape might look in the Bible. I've got a, just a couple of verses and I'll just replace the word love with agape. 1 John 4:16. It says, And so we know and rely in the agape God has for us. That's the outward love, the service love, the charitable love that God has for us. God is agape. Wow. Whoever lives in agape, this sacrificial, servicehood, serving, charitable love, lives in God and God in him. 1 John 4, 19, a few verses down. We agape because he first agaped us. And I always love to take the opportunity to add an English suffix to a Greek word. <laughs> I was doing a study on agape a, few, oh, a year ago, and I came across something fascinating, and this is the little bit of interest that I want to bring to it tonight. It fascinated me when I was reading a bunch of notes to discover that the ancient Greeks often described this agape love as a motherly love. You think about it for a second, the unconditional love of mum. Makes sense, right? A good mother, the unconditional love of mum. And so tonight I'm going to have a look at the how to Jesus' why. The first how is motherly agape. And then I'm going to finish off at the end by talking about a second how, which is a bit more of the classic, and look at it through the Bible. 
As I said, the ancient Greeks seemed to have this idea that agape reflected this illustration of a good mum. That is, that nourishing, protecting, to be the one who kindly tends to others in their needs, even though themselves need, have needs that need to be met. Sounds like mum, doesn't it? That selfless generosity to give up one's own rights, to give up one's own entitlements, in an act of charity to meet the needs of others, namely her children. As I said, other cultures, other cultures also have this idea of love. It wasn't just the ancient Greeks. And in fact, one um, anthropologist in northern Brazil was looking at how this particular culture in northern Brazil celebrated and aspired mothers to be agape. And so it's quite a common idea that a mother's love is a reflection of agape love. And Dr. Maya Mayblin published some works, and I'd just like to share a few quotes with, um, that she gave in one of her published works. And the first one is, like God's love, an ideal mother love is, at core, an asymmetrical relationship that can never be evened because it is bestowed not one. You know, the classical um, sermon on agape is Jesus, of course. Jesus is the normal Christian picture of agape love. And you can see that Jesus could easily fit that. And this is her statement on motherly agape. Agape, her next statement, agape is the movement of a gift forever outward without a concept of return. It is the essence. It is the essence of Christian sacrifice. Agape, and I like this last one because it kind of brings out this Marvel Avengers or superstars of wrestling side in me. God can be imagined as the ultimate mother. <laughs> I was also. Um, reading this book called The Shack a few years ago by William P. Young. And some Christians loved that book and some Christians didn't like it. <laughs> In the book, William P. Young describes the Father God as this African-American motherly woman. And when I was presented with this picture, I was like, wow, I've never thought of Father God like that before. And one of the things I got out of it, I thought was interesting, is I, f I found it really helpful to see this picture that Young had painted of a hospitable God who was working away in the kitchen, <laughs> making food, being loving, having these great conversations with the, with the lead character of the book as, as she's preparing food and all it was about was getting this food onto a table. She sets this table and the, everyone gathers to the table and his relationship with God. I found that to be a good picture of hospitality. And in fact, I was quite inspired. When I, when I read that, I remembered some of my friends who were like that. And I thought, I want to be more like that. I'm not like that. Not, not naturally, trust me. But I want to be like that, and I see God in that. Now, 
As I wrote this and as I thought about it, I recognise that quite often, and I do get the chance to speak a little bit around church circles, (laughs) quite often I'm talking about the fatherly figure of God and the fatherly side of God. And, And I think that it's just time that we just had a look at this motherly side of God. You know, it seems perfectly okay to talk about the fatherly side. What about this side? And, you know, there's enough politics going on at the moment. (laughs) I'm not interested at all to to open a debate on sexism or gender roles or anything like that, you know. (laughs) There's enough of that going on. We don't need that. But what I, I I just wanted to show and demonstrate that there is this overwhelming never-ending, reckless agape of mum reflected in this overwhelming, never-ending, reckless agape of God or vice versa. It's true. You know, a few years ago, quite a few now, it's getting on and on and on, I watched my wife suffer through one childbirth and then a few years later, I don't know why, a second childbirth And then a few years later, a third one. And then she selfishly spent nights awake looking after the needs of each one of those babies. She was still in pain. She needed sleep, but still she gave. I thought to myself, man, I'm not like that. I need to be like that, but I'm not. And it really hit me. She just seemed to get it Boom, straight away, like that. But me, it's taken me years, and still I need more practice. The sacrificing servant motherhood is a picture that helps me to understand what this kind of love is that God is talking about. It's agape. And this agape style of love I need to exhibit to be a kingdom of God ambassador. To be someone who brings the kingdom, I need this type of love. It's the how to Jesus' why. Now, I did not grow up with a mother. For some time, I mean, obviously I had a mother, (laughs) and I'm very happy that she gave birth to me, but I didn't grow up with her. And I always, you know, said to Dad, that Dad, you're a good mum, Dad. (laughs) When I was 12... My dad did remarry. I was the best man at the wedding. (laughs) And I got this wonderful stepmother who I'm so proud to call mum. She was a great example of unconditional love. You think about, she took this wayward young boy whose destiny was to be in a gang, because that was my father's background, and loved me into submission. That's unconditional love, isn't it? Taking some wayward boy, some other person's son, and loving them. I got an earful when I deserved it. I got multiples of chores, which I recognize now was to keep my idle hands busy and out of trouble. I got servings of vegetables I never knew existed. I never had eaten broccoli before I was 12. (laughs) And I got these hugs from this lady 
that used to squeeze the air out of me. And I didn't know what to do. I resisted her on all fronts. But she was relentless. The overwhelming, never-ending, reckless agape of mum. She showed me what agape was. And through her demonstration, I got to understand agape much better. Just as we agape, he first agaped us. I learned agape through mum. I find this illustration of love incredibly helpful to me to understand what God means when he commands me to love one another. It's not inward, it's not self-serving, it is outward. So when we're talking about love, we should have that in our heads. It's okay to have the inward stuff, trust me. As I said, it's not bad in itself, we all need it. But the love that's in the Bible is an outward style love, not an inward one. It's not there to make you feel good, it costs you something. And I realized how quickly when I think about this, that my relationship with God is essential for me to help me achieve that agape style love. And I know that without help from Holy Spirit, I am pretty much unable to agape. It's not there naturally for me. It is for others, like the mums, at least some of them, not all of them, but some of them. Some of them have to work on it too. But it is a caricature. It is a type, you know, we see that thing in mum regularly. But for me, I had to learn it, and I want to learn it. Let's have a look at some of the more classical pictures quickly, it won't take long, of how to Jesus' why through the Bible, the Bible agape. In Matthew chapter 25, 31 to 46, it's the story of the sheep and the goats. And we can see the why of Jesus Christ and the how statement there. I won't read it all, but remember the why to bring the kingdom of God to earth so that people can experience the fullness of life in relationship with God. And the how? Agape. Notice in verse 34, Jesus the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared to you for you since the creation of the world. That's the why. And then the how, as you know, there's the feeding of the hungry, the giving the drink to the thirsty, the inviting in strangers, feeding them, lodging them, the clothing of the naked, looking after the sick and visiting the prisoners. Do you see agape in that? He doesn't mention the word agape, he just demonstrates it. As much as I've done it for the least of these brothers of mine, you've done it for me, the how. In Matthew 10, 5 to 8, we see how Jesus sends his disciples out. Notice the why and the how again. Preach the kingdom of heaven is near. Kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, same thing. Preach the kingdom of God is near. Then agape comes in the verse. The charitable actions towards others. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received. Freely give. Like my mum gave to me, and I learned agape so I could give to others. Freely give. You can consider the Good Samaritan. When the real educated Jew came up and said, 
well then how do I love my neighbor? And Jesus gave a story of the Samaritan, as you all know, and that Samaritan showed agape. It cost him something. He had to give. He literally had to give the in-person money. He even cost him his status, when you think about it. It costs us something to agape. Agape has many definitions, but ultimately it gives, it costs, and it serves. It's charitable, it's generous, it's outward, it's altruistic. That's the word that's in the Bible. Agape causes it to happen that when one person slaps me on my face, it becomes two slaps as I turn the other cheek. When I'm asked to walk one mile, I walk two. Even carrying the burden of my enemy on my back, I go the extra mile. Agape is what we're commanded to do by Jesus, and agape is the how to that why statement of Jesus, to bring the kingdom of God to earth so that people can experience the fullness of a life and relationship with God. Whenever we hear the word love, let's not forget mum. <laughs> let's not forget Jesus. Let's remember agape. We know that agape is the love that keeps on giving, the overwhelming never-ending, reckless love of God. Jesus gave us everything. I think the least I could do is give him everything back. It's agape. So I'd like to call the musicians up and we'll just pray, finish off. Father God, we thank you that you're a God who shows us agape. He shows us love and defines it and, and is willing to, to give out to us and just keep giving. Just as it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. We recognize that that sentence is very congruent. Love agape and gave. We thank you for the model of Jesus in this in our life. And Lord, what we really pray tonight is that this week, when the opportunities to agape comes up, that Holy Spirit, you just remind us and just make us sensitive to those opportunities so that even though it costs us something and it hurts a little, that we take the time to show people this agape love, this outward love that serves, that's generous, that gives things away, that's charitable. And we thank you for the opportunities that we have. Help us, Jesus, to live them out to the full. And we ask this in your name. You are awesome. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to know more about our faith community, feel free to visit our website, gatewaychurch.org.nz.